You are listening to a 14-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Acts. Luke, the author of Acts, tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, that the Gospels were only the beginning of all Jesus did and taught. The book of Acts is the continuation of Jesus' ministry on earth through the church, and this story is continuing today. This sermon series will address key themes in the book of Acts and connect them with our lives today. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We are uh, in this uh, series on Acts, and, and one of the things that uh, we say here at Jubilee Church, and one of the things that we're uh, going for is that we want to pattern our lives after the church that we see in Acts, after the New Testament, and so that's the big idea uh, with this series. And I've, and I've thought about that, that phrase or that desire, I should say, that we want to be this church that's patterned after the New Testament, it's patterned after the Bible. And I thought to my, because I'm a little bit pessimistic, I'm like, well, doesn't, I mean, doesn't everybody want to do that? Like if I was to do a survey of churches and, and, and Christians and say, hey, would, do you or do you not want to be like a church in the Bible? Or would you like to be a church that's not in the Bible? I mean, like, is, is anyone going to say, no, I don't want to be a church that's like in the Bible. I don't think anyone would, would say that, but I think if you were to ask a follow-up question, which is, okay, if that's what you want, you know, what are you willing to give up for that? I think that's where you'd begin to see a distinct fork in the road, which is, are, are we willing to, to, to lay down our personal ambitions for corporate ambition? Are we willing uh, to lay down our personal possessions for shared possessions? Are we uh, willing to lay down our personal time for, uh, hey, being together? What are, what are we willing to lay down? At Julie Church, we, we, we want to be, and I realize that we're not always this way, but, but our desire isn't just to say that that's what we want, but by the grace of God and his spirit in us, we more and more want to become that kind of community who's willing to um, not just, hey, yeah, we'd love to be that kind of a church, but really begin to shape our lives uh, to, to fit that pattern. And so we're looking at the book of Acts to say, okay, how can we lay, let's lay the, 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 this church, let's lay the story of this community over our lives to see where maybe God would, would nudge us to the left or to the right. And one of the things that you clearly see uh, in the book of Acts as you read through this is that they were always praying. I mean, last week we read in, in Acts 2.42 that they were devoted to prayer. That word devote again means to be, uh, to give yourself to, to, to really uh, apply yourself and to have this strong passion for. And so they were, they were devoted to prayer. Acts 1.14 just simply says that they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. This was an ongoing process that they were always praying. And I, and I think... Um, that prayer amongst Christians is, is, is kind of a, an interesting subject because I don't think anyone's going to have this eureka moment today. Let me just put that out there. No one's going to say, so what you're saying, Brian, is we should talk to God. Like, I, I've never thought about that before. I didn't, didn't realize that that we're supposed to, if, you, if someone just would have told me I was supposed to pray, I would have been doing that. I think, no, no, most of us know that we ought to pray, but I think we're frustrated that we don't pray um, as much or it, like we should. I mean, I, I know that's true for me. I mean, I've never gone through a season of my life where I've looked back and said, you know what? Everything about that week or that day or that year was pretty good, except I just think I talked too much to God. I think, uh, I think I just prayed too much. I think if I would have just managed my time a little better and not prayed so much, I think everything would have turned out better. I don't, I don't know that I've ever gone through a season in my life, and I think if we were to be honest here, and I know we're in church, so we won't be honest, but if we were to be honest, we would, we would say, like, yeah, that's true for me, too, that we would, 
Um, yeah, I, I don't pray um, um, the way that I should. And so um, what I, what I want to do is, or what I don't want to do today, is I don't want us to go down this road uh, of guilt. Um, because it'd be super easy. Because I think if we were to say, hey, you know, um, hey, we don't pray enough. I think, every, I think that's an easy argument to make. And, and I think we could all walk, oh yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't have as much zeal in prayer as I ought. I need more zeal in prayer. And so those of us of type A would come up with a plan. Those of us who are really type A, we'd pray for this person on Monday and this person on Tuesday. And then what happens though, if guilt is your motivation, discouragement is just around the corner. So I, I don't want us to get into being motivated by guilt because this is an easy subject to get, to feel guilty on uh, for, for, uh, for if you're a Christian. Um, but what I do want to do is I do want to look a little bit as like, okay, why, why don't we pray? I mean, what does prayer say about us? What does prayer say about God? And what is the opportunity that we have before us? And if we can kind of get this picture of who God is and what he's invited us into, that we would be motivated uh, by our passion to be with him. Or we'd be motivated by our passion to humbly uh, kneel before him and say, hey, God, we need you to intervene. We need you um, we need you to act. Uh, and so that's what I want to do. And so as we look at this um, story here, they, uh, as was mentioned, um, Peter and John, the, kind of the big number one, big number two, they, they were the kind of the, uh, the big dogs there. And they got thrown into prison um, for preaching. They get released. And uh, what they did, what this early church did, as soon as this happened, it says that when they heard that they were released, they lifted their voices together to God, and essentially they began to pray. And I think this is huge, that regardless of the situation, that, that our response, I, I hope that as we grow together as a community, as we kind of journey in life together, that more and more our response is that we pray. If something good happens, we're coming together and pray. Something bad happens, we're, we're coming together to pray. Uh, if, if nothing happens, we're really coming together and pray because we want things to happen. And uh, th- that's what I, they didn't like. They didn't, as soon as they get out, they didn't have like a, a welcome home party. Hey, you're out. That's great news. Let's have a party. Or, um, you know, they didn't like sit Peter and John down and give them a stern warning and like, don't you ever do that again. They, they didn't do any of that. They didn't come up with a new strategy. They didn't let their wounds heal. They didn't take a nap, but they came together and they prayed. And their response was to pray. And so again, what, what, are, what are some reasons why maybe we won't do that? Well, I think one of the reasons why we don't um, do that is that we have an unhealthy fear of God. We have an unhealthy fear of God. Now, I think it's important that you hear that word unhealthy because I think it's, it's super important to have a healthy fear of God. A healthy fear of God will keep you safe. A healthy fear of God will keep you close, uh, will keep perspective uh, right. Several times in my life, I've been nervous. There's been several situations where I've been in where I thought, hey, uh, serious trouble, even death is a, is a possibility here. And most of the time that involves the ocean, right? I don't know if it's because there's sharks in there or that it's three miles deep. Um, but it usually involves the ocean. I remember about a year and a half ago, I was in this boat off into the Atlantic and we, uh, everybody was really wanting to go deep sea fishing, but the guy was like, Hey, look, this is a really stormy day. Probably shouldn't do this, but we went anyway. And, um, and no, no guy was going to say, Hey, I'm scared. But, uh, I was really hoping somebody was. And, uh, 
but that didn't happen. So anyway, so we go out there and the waves are coming, splashing onto the boat, right? It's not that big of a boat. I mean, the waves were looking bigger than the boat and it was tossing back and forth. I'm looking at the captain and he's like looking really serious, which was making me nervous because it was like, okay, something's going on here. And, and my thought at that point wasn't, hey, you know what? I'm a good swimmer. My thought wasn't about how many push-ups I did the night before. I'm thinking, uh-oh, like, uh I'm a little nervous right now. I, I, something bad could happen. I wasn't thinking about how big I was. I was actually thinking about how fragile I am. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm scared. And, and as I think back at that moment, and, and you can imagine this as well, if, if what is created has the ability to terrify us, how much more should the one who created what terrifies us, terrifies us? You, you getting that? That, that? that the one who created the world, that is God, if, if what he created can terrify us, how much more should be the one who, who put that thing into motion? You see, God is not cuddly. He's not cute. Uh, he, he's not, um, he, he doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't kind of toss it underneath the rug. He hates sin. He's angry at sin. You, you just need to look at the cross uh, to see uh, the punishment that was laid upon his son, to see the severity of his anger and his wrath towards sin. Now, uh, the, the, the great spectacular juxtaposition of his anger on the cross as well as his love that, that, that he would absorb this wrath, that Jesus would absorb this wrath uh, for us, for those who call upon his name, that he redeems, that he loves, that he washes us clean. And it's this God that we want to come boldly because we know here's the God who has the ability to cause the sea to go rough and has the ability to calm it down. He has the authority of not just life and death, but heaven and hell. And he has decided not to show us wrath and justice, but to show us mercy. And it's this, those of us who have this reverent fear of him, we don't want to run from that. We want to run to that. Hey, if he's the one who can calm the ocean, I want to get next to him. I want to be close to him. And that's what you see in the early church. I don't know that we'll hit this theme in the series, but it's a, it's an, it's a good theme, which is that this early community was regularly um, under the fear and awe of God. They regular, they, it say that like they, they, being in the fear of God, they, they did this, they did that. They, they worshiped him, they prayed, they came near. And having a healthy fear of God will cause you to run to God, not run away from God. Now, on the other hand, it is, I think a lot of us sometimes struggle with an unhealthy fear of God uh, that has this idea that he's like perpetually angry with us. Like, hey, don't bother God, he's kind of in a bad mood. You know, like, you know, you don't want to disturb, don't disturb God. You know, like, you know, you, you, you cut somebody off in traffic and there's no way you can talk to him now. You kind of, kind of let him, you know, blow off some steam first and then we'll kind of go to him. And, and so we can kind of have this view that God is just perpetually angry with us. Like we're some unwelcome guest that we're just hoping, you know, gets to hint and leaves. And so, but that's not how God has treated us. He is 
constantly inviting us in. And we have to remember by which we have access. Ephesians 2.18 says that we have access to this, to this great God of the universe, this God who created everything and sustains everything with the power of his pinky. It says that we have access to this God, direct access to God, not by our own merit, not by our own uh, works, but through Jesus, through what Jesus has done that we have access. So if, if, if Jesus is cool with the Father, if he's good with the Father, then we are. So if you, if you can, in a moment, if you're, if you're one of those who think, well, I don't know if God really wants me uh, to kind of rush into his presence. Well, just think this. Do you think Jesus can? Do you, do you think Jesus can just kind of come in and say, hey, God, hey, Dad, I just had a few thoughts? Well, then you can. And over and over again in scriptures, uh, there, uh, God is speaking through us, through prophets and through uh, through. Um, Others that he, the invitation that he wants us to come near. I love Isaiah 55, uh, 1. It, it says, come, uh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no, no money, come, buy, and eat. It's like you, you have, if you have no money, you have no business going to the mall. I mean, unless you plan on stealing something. you just like, what, what are you going to do if you don't have any resources to pull it off? And some of us just feel that way. It's like, I have no business being in God's presence because I don't have anything to offer. And this is the invitation. Hey, those of you who don't have anything to offer, come, come close, come near. And and there's this continual invitation, Psalms full of amazing stuff. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus comes and says, all you who are weary, all of you who are heavy laden, come and find rest with me. There's this invitation always coming out. And in fact, he goes so far as to say, I want, you to, I want you to bother me. I want you to pester me. Isaiah 62, God says to that prophet that I have appointed you as watchmen and watch women, prayer, people who pray, to give, to take no rest and to give me no rest until I have done everything that I've promised to do. I've, I've, I've called you to pester me. I've called you to pester me. And then you have that story, that parable in Luke 18 that Jesus says about the persistent widow who goes before this unrighteous judge that it says that neither feared God nor respected me, could care less about this woman. But it says because she constantly pestered him. He's like, all right, enough. I'll give you what you want so you get out of my, uh, get out of my uh, sight. And then Jesus says, how much more will God give justice to his elect, those who are his? How much more will he, will he give justice to them quickly? Will he delay long? No, he will not. You, you can pester them. And, and this text really came alive for me once I started to have... Um, children, because uh, we have the exact exact opposite rule in my house uh, than, than what you see here. Uh, when we've answered you, we've answered you. There is no constant coming to us. My heart does not grow soft to my children the more that they ask me things. It gets, it gets harder. So can I play on the computer, Dad? No. Uh, please, no. Just for a minute, no, but I really want to. No, you can't play on the computer. In fact, you can never, ever play on the computer ever again. And so 
I mean, that's the direction I go. Like, I have, my threshold is like three or four ask, and then I go over-parent and say things I have no intention of ever uh, backing up, and they know. And so it's just a ridiculous thing that because my frustration that they keep pestering me and bothering me when I'm trying to, you know, do whatever it is that I'm, you know, trying to do, which is probably playing on the computer. And so we... Um, I'll be honest, if you will. And so we... Um, so that's my threshold. Now, so so my, my, my mode of operation, I don't know what yours is. My mode of operation is when, when I get pestered is to resist, but that's the exact opposite of God. Man, he wants us to come. No, come on, come on. Keep asking, keep asking, keep pleading, keep coming forward. And, and I get counseled by um, just great fathers who are empty nesters. He'll say, hey, there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day where you would give anything for your children to come pester you. And there's a moment of wisdom there, which is, and this is what, this is what, so what's God get out of this? Well, God wants a relationship with us. Man, he's not looking, he's not out. He, his goal for you isn't that you nail life. His goal for you isn't that you have, that you, that you get the right job and the, and, and the right uh, situation and, and you just do everything just right. His ultimate goal is he wants relationship. So the idea of having one of us just come to him and, and coming to him and coming to him and coming to him, that's his, that's his world. That's what he wants. So he invites us in. Not as people who have to beg and plead, but as those who he has in his own power and strength deem righteous through the sacrifice of his Son, he doesn't want to push us away, but he wants us to come near. We are not unwelcomed guests. We cannot wear out his welcome. It's just impossible. I think it's another reason, which I won't speak much on, that we, we hesitate in prayer, is that we don't think he, he hears it. We, we just don't think he's, he's listening. But, the, you know, the scriptures are just super clear. Psalm 6, 8 says, The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are toward. That means that they are like, they're looking at God's eyes are on you right now. And his ears toward their cry. You see, in prayer, we don't have to like, warn, like God, are you there? Are you, you, are you up there? Man, he's listening in. He's leaning into you. You know, again, in parent, I mean, my kids, dad, 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 dad. That's not God. God's like, what? What do you got to say? I'm listening. I'm, I'm leaning in. He's listening. Now, some of you may say, well, yeah, I get that he's listening, but he doesn't answer my. I don't think prayer works because he doesn't answer me. He just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm praying, but nothing's happening. And, and if you feel like God's kind of slow into answering your prayers, you've got good company uh, in the Bible. Habakkuk 1, 2, the prophet says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? How many of us have been there? Like it just feels like, you know, your prayers are hitting the ceiling. So you go outside, you know, is there something you know, with this, these not hearing quite right or something. And so he's like, God, I'm in this situation. I'm in pain. I'm suffering. My world is in turmoil and you're doing nothing. How long, Lord? And, and that's essentially what David says in uh, chapter 13, verse one. He says, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Come on. 
Will you, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Now, I don't know what you've gone through in your life, but I doubt your life matches up to the sorrow and pain and suffering that David experienced. He had a son who raped his daughter. He had a son who tried to oust him from his own throne. He had his family and his closest friends betray him. And he's like, God, what's going on here? What's going on with my life? What's going on with these circumstances? But he leans in and he presses in. So he's thinking, God, I don't hear you. But the more he presses in, and this is, this is huge. The more he presses in, he doesn't, his initial theory uh, doesn't get stronger, but it weakens and it gives way to, well, look what it says in verse five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Do you know what his, the situation he's in? And he has, he's able to say somehow, your love is steadfast. You have dealt bountifully with me. It's absolutely amazing. You see, when we think God isn't listening or he isn't responding, responding, our situation's all whacked up. Answers and help isn't found in running from him, but it's found in running to him. And that's why the early church went to prayer. They just automatically uh, went there. And that's what Paul tells us to do, like in Philippians 4, very uh, famous passage. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't don't worry. Don't give care to anything, but in everything, in every situation, pray, supplications, make your request known to God. And what happens isn't that he changes your situations to the way you think, because that would make you God and that'd make him some like genie in a bottle thing. Like, God, my circumstances aren't working out here. So you ring the little bell. God, get down here and fix this. But what happens is as you lean and press into God, this is what happens. It says the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind. If you lean and you press into that, that's what Jesus did in the garden. In the garden, he comes before the Father with the cross hours away and says, Father, if there's any way, let, um, let me get out of this. I don't want this situation. I don't want it. It's very clear. I don't want this situation. Father, there's any way. And he leans and he presses in with great tears. It says he cries aloud and angst. Will you take this away? Then he says, but not my will, but your will. It sounds a lot like the prayer of the early church. You're the sovereign one. It's your will. It's not my will. It's your will. And as he presses in, as he presses in, angels came and strengthened him. And that's what God will do. That when you're feeling like, well, what's going on with my life? The more that you press into God, it's not like he'll magically, sometimes your circumstances will change, but that's not the real, that's not the real thing. The real thing is that you'll get wisdom perspective and you'll find that he is a, a place of refuge. I love that hymn, What a Friend I Have in Jesus. And there's that line where it says, oh, what, a, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It's just recognizing that he's in control. 
that he's in charge, that he's the one uh, uh, who's sovereign. And the reason why we get discouraged in our situations has nothing to do with our situation. Uh, but the reason why we, we get in this place of despondency and anxiety is because we think we know what should happen in our lives. We think we know and we're worried that God won't get it right. See, our worry and anxiousness is really a frustrated aspiration to be God. And God is too loving to say, okay, yeah, you, you know, I'll, I'll give you a turn at it. You know, you be God. But what he does is he, he, he may keep the situation the way it is, but he, as you press into him, the more you'll realize what a, what a sovereign God he is and what a loving God he is. That's why Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, he says, do not worry. He says, in my kingdom, there is no worry. It's outlawed. No one's allowed to worry. The Gentiles, the ones who, who don't know that they have a father in heaven who loves them, they worry but you know that you have a father in heaven who loves you, who takes care of you like he takes care of the sparrows and the lilies of the field. And, at, and the more you press into the knowledge of that God, well, worry just goes away because you realize that you're not in charge and that he is and he's, he's doing a great job and he's loving and he's going to do everything that's good for you. And, and that's why I think it's interesting that it says in this passage when they pray, so they lifted up their voice together in Psalm um, 13, 5 and 6 that we read. David, he sang to the Lord. Singing is a part of that. It's a way of bringing your heart to God. And God needs, uh, uh, excuse me, God isn't the one who needs us to sing as much as that we need us to sing. It's something, it's for us, it's not for him. It's like, hey, God, you know, God's you know, been a little down lately. Maybe we can like sing him a little song to kind of cheer him up a little bit. No, it's it's our it's bringing our heart to God. And heart has this way of or, excuse me, singing has this way of like exposing pride in our life. I know that because most men don't sing, and um, <laughs> men fall to the proud thing. And I know we just all we do is like every once in a while you guys didn't know this, but every once in a while we just turn down the music to see how you guys just kind of like stop singing as much. <laughs> Not really, but but singing. Here's a good guys like. It just says sing joyfully. It doesn't say sing good. So, I mean, it doesn't, we don't have to worry about it. But when we sing, it's this way of saying, it's coming to God with our heart and saying, God, I need to lean into you. I need to press into you. I, I need to know more about your, I need to open my, my whole, not just my mind. I need to open my heart to, to the knowledge of who you are, which is a good, um, loving God. I think the, the last thing, which is where we um, really get messed up, in terms of not praying, is that we just don't think we need them. We just, we just think that we've, we got it, you know? I think when I go through seasons where I'm not given to prayer, the dark reality is somehow I slipped into this mode of thinking I don't need him. I've just, I just, I, I can do this. And what I've realized is that we can have decent theology in our heads, but have horrible theology in practice. We can be functional atheists. We can live as though God doesn't actually exist. That somehow we can, we, can, we can create our own circumstances. We, we, we as Americans in particular, we live under this illusion of control. But for any one of us sitting here, all, uh, this afternoon a phone call can shred your life. Happen to... 
a dear sister in this community a week or so ago gets a phone call one Saturday morning, just eight days ago, gets a phone call. Dad collapsed in the, in the driveway. We are fragile. We are, we are, we are, we are fragile. We, um, Sting said, the great theologian Sting said, how fragile we are because when the religion of control dries up, people hit their knees. And I think we've all been in those moments. We've all been in those moments where we've had a loved one in the hospital. We've lost a job. We've, been, we've just, where the illusion of control has been temporarily lifted off of us. And we're in this desperate need of like, God, you've got to do something. I'm just here to say that is reality. That is, that is if God decides to stop sustaining the world today, it all goes away. If God does not deem it right that you breathe tomorrow, you will not breathe tomorrow. Anything can happen. You are, you are fragile. This life is a mist. This is um, James, the brother of Jesus, I, I believe it's chapter four, where he says, don't say you're going to go into such and such town next year and make a profit. You, you, can't, you don't know. You're not in control. You, you can't make plans like that. You can't, you can't say that that's what you're going. That you, you can only do that if, if the Lord wills that that happen. You, you're, not, uh, you're not in control. Jesus ter- tells a parable about this rich fool who had this idea that is going to sound like the American dream, which is here's how, this is how you can isolate yourself from pain and suffering, is you get a good job and you work hard and you, bu- and you get a, 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 a silo full of grain. And then you work even harder so you get two silos and three silos and bigger barns and bigger barns and upgrading to where finally, you know, you don't just have enough for you in this life, but you have enough for your kids and their kids. And, and, then, at the, and then there's this day where this guy in this parable says, hey, you have enough for you. You have enough for your kids. You have enough for your kids' kids. Soul, take rest. Be merry. And Jesus entered that story and says, you fool. Your life will be required of you tonight. You are not in control. You are, you are not in charge. And prayer has a way of revealing to us who really is in control here. That's why I love that in this prayer. They're like, oh, sovereign Lord. I mean, that's a great way to approach God. That's what Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. You know, holy are you. Man, this is who you are. And this is who I am. Let me ask you a question. Who's sovereign in your life? Who's calling the shots? Who's making it happen? Who's sustaining you? How are you healthy? How are you alive? My hope for you is that you would not find out these answers the hard way. My hope for you is that you would lean into him, that you would, you would depend upon him. We are absolutely dependent upon God. That's why this week is huge for this church, the week of prayer. 
This is a massive week because what we're going to do, we're, we're going to come together and we are going to corporately say, we can't do this. We can't. God, God, you asked us. So week one, God, what do you want us to do? I want you to Jerusalem, Judea, into the earth. I want you to be my witness. We can't. That's what we're going to do this week. We can't do, we, we, our resources, our leadership, our, um, our time, our ambition, our gifts are woefully insufficient. We need you to intervene. We, we are living for something, God, that we can't do in and of ourselves. Coming together. We, we need you, God. God, if you don't do this, we're in trouble. In fact, Psalms 127.1 says, unless, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain. So of all the things that we do, all the, all, the, all the preaching, all the serving, all the giving, all the counseling, all the community groups, all of those things are secondary to what we are going to do this week. Because here's the thing. I, I don't know what you're putting in the middle of all this, but when I think about all the, all the money, all the hours people serve, all the coming together in community, all the counseling, all the preaching, all the practicing, the worship, and the, we're, we're going to start another location uh, next year. People are going to risk things. I'm going to risk things. And the idea that that could all be done in vain frightens me in a good way. This week is huge. This is, this, is, this is big stuff. Coming together and saying to God, all of what we have made our life about, all the things that we're doing, all the little pieces that we're throwing into the middle, just, if God, if you don't do something, we're hosed. This week, in particular, Friday night, where it's not just little groups of us throughout the city, and in Washington, but where everybody comes together in this room and collectively we lift our voice, oh, sovereign God, would you stretch out your hand? Because we are woefully insufficient. I tell you what, your heart needs that so bad. For no other reason. You're like, well, I don't even know how to pray. It doesn't matter. All you have to do is come in here and say, I can't do this. And that's enough. You'll get your money's worth. We don't charge, by the way. You'll get, you get your money. You'll get whatever. The effort that you put into this. We'll have snacks and balloons and childcare. So anyway. Um, but this is huge. This is huge for us. And because this isn't a sole proprietorship, this church. Like this is my deal and you guys are just kind of here for the, along for the ride. This is something that we do together. And man, if you call this church your church. Uh, there, there is not a more important thing that you can do for this community if you want to contribute. If you ever have the question, well, what can I do to help? What, what can I do to be a part? The thing I'll put at the top of the list is that you give yourself to coming together to pray. That is the most important thing that we can do. I mean, if the Bible is true, if the Bible is true, it has to be that. I don't know how else to read that. I don't know how else to read unless God 
intervenes, it's all in vain. I don't know how else to read that, to say, well, that must mean that prayer is the most important thing that we can do. Because if we can't be humble and recognize that, then all this other stuff is, and we know from Revelation that God plants churches and he snuffs them out. He, they rise, they fall. We need him. We need to come together. And, and, and I've got some concerns, and, I, and I, I, want, I want to remind all of us here that what I said in the beginning, which I really don't want anyone to be motivated out of guilt, but what I might say might contradict that. Um, and that is, uh, so 100% of us generally are involved in Sunday morning, right? Um, because we're all here. And so one over one is 100%. Okay, so we gener- 75% of us thumbs up to community group. We're involved in community groups. Two-thirds of us, this is amazing to me, two-thirds of us, like, put forth the money, put forth the time, took off work, and we all, like, went down to Tantara for our celebration Midwest, which is another important event. Amazing, two-thirds of the church. Our last Friday night prayer, we had less than half of us here. Now, stay with me. Don't leave. I just want to be clear. I'm not saying that. I just want to be. I just. I just want to be clear. I just want us to know that of all the things that we do, this because I know. I know you guys are committed to stuff. I, I know that. I. Uh, the, the amount of money you give, the amount of time that you serve, the way that you give yourself to each other. I mean, I hear amazing stories of people staying up late with one another and bearing each other's burdens and loving each other. I know that you are committed. And so as, as the, the leader here, I thought to myself, well, I just, I, I need to make sure that we're all clear how big of a deal this is. This is huge. This is, this, is, this is the thing to be um, committed to. And I've got friends who um, lead churches that, that would be super impressed to have like a third of their church show up. Some people are like, oh, we, we just don't even do prayer because we maybe get like 10%. And I don't know, maybe I'm just stubborn or whatever, but I'm just like, I, I don't, I, I don't want to give up that easily. And what, I, what, I, what I'm saying I don't want to give up on is I'll give up on an event. I'll give up on that. I don't care about that. But what I don't want to give up on is I don't want to give up on you. I, I don't want to give up on how you see yourself and how you see God and how you, the, 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 the condition of not just your heart, but the condition of your mind to see how huge this is. And I know, you know, prayer is not, it doesn't feed the flesh. You know, the, the Bible says that things of the flesh, you know, are a contradiction of things in the spirit. It's not like, you know, if you were to think of your top five relaxing things to do, uh, you know, on a Sunday or whatever, I don't know that, you know, you know what sounds like really rejuvenating for my flesh would be to pray for an hour and a half. I, it doesn't, you know, I get that. But it is so massively massively important. I am so passionate for your joy. I'm so passionate that you see God as an all-sufficient, all-loving, all-powerful, benevolent Father who, who wants good things for us. And I don't want you to walk in the dangerous illusion that either you and your life or us and our life together can somehow do this on our own. 
I mean, if you were to stand in the eye of a tornado and say, I got this, I would say, you absolutely don't have this. You need to run and take cover. I think that's pretty much what the Bible says about our need to come together and pray. What what do you mean we've got this? What do you you mean that that coming together to, to say that we need God to intervene is somehow a secondary activity? The Bible says completely the opposite. And here's the thing, guys. This, this, we're, we're not in a time of peace. The Bible is very clear that we're in, this, we're in this time of conflict. And when we aligned ourselves with Jesus, we, we stepped into conflict. And the enemy is looking to to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he's looking to tear apart what he can to neutralize what the church does. I think he is, on a separate note, I think he attacks families. I think he's attacked fatherhood big time in our age. I think he's attacking this. I think he's attacking our need to come together and say, we are insufficient in and of ourselves and we need you, God, to intervene. Would you, would you do that? Here's my vision for us in, um, for us in my life, our life together for prayer worship is in Psalm 8410. David says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I, I don't know what your elsewheres are, but what he says is there's, there's no place I'd rather be in here. Now, one day the Bible says on that day, when we're at the end of our life, it says that we will see him and we'll be like him. Those of us who will see him and be like him. Now everyone will, will bow their knee. And on that day, everyone will bow their knee and confess. The most hard-hearted, rebellious, against God person on that day will, will bow his knee and confess that he's Lord. So we, we see in part, we know in part. So, so that day where we'll be totally mesmerized, where we can't even think about doing anything else, but, but being in his presence, that day will not happen here on earth. But David kind of gives us this almost middle ground of saying, hey, well, at least being in his presence, worshiping in prayer is better than any other day anywhere else. And so my, my vision for us is to get there. Now, I realize that we're all over the map. There's some people here who are trying to figure out if Jesus is even worth a moment of your time versus all your moments. And, and I can't say that, I, I'm, I'd be honest here, I, I don't know that my life, I would love to think this about myself, I don't know that my life always reflects that this is, his presence, is, there's no place I'd rather be. I mean, I'm thinking about my lazy boy, I'm thinking about football, I'm thinking about beer me, I'm thinking like this is, I want to chill out, relax. I'm think, there are other places that my that my heart and mind gets attached to. So, but as we move forward together as a community, as we, as we learn more about who God is, we learn more about ourselves, that, that our hearts will move toward that. We'll see something. So when the Bible says, taste and see in the Lord is good, we'll, we'll take him up on that. And we'll taste of him. And we will see that he is good. And, Paul says in um, Romans, I believe, that, he, that God's moving us from one degree of glory to the next. And he's absolutely doing that. If you'll let him, if you'll, if you'll say, okay, God, I'm gonna submit to you. I wanna go right, you say to go left, I'm gonna go left. And he, he'll move you along that path.
but it's so important. Prayer is such a big deal. It's not just a little, it's not just a little bell that we ring when we're uncomfortable. We want God to fix it. God bless my meal. God make my kid not be sick. God give me a safe trip. God might make my job go better. And this is Bible says that prayer is mighty to pull down strongholds. And it and it and it changes things, but the thing that the big thing that I want us to, to walk away with in going to prayer is not so much that when we pray, hey, here comes us, we're going to change the world. But actually when we come together in prayer, and we lift our voices to God, he changes us. And that's the change that we desperately, desperately need.